Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us on this International Women's Day. We are Emily. I'm Annalise. And you have reached us here at We Can Do Pod Things. We're going to kick it off with a quote today, which is, the women of today are the thoughts of their mothers and grandmothers embodied and made alive. That quote is from Matilda Jocelyn Gage, who I confess I hadn't heard of. Have you? Mm-mm. So would you like a little history lesson Duh. about Sis Matilda? She is known for her contributions to women's suffrage in the United States. She also campaigned for Native American rights, abolitionism, wow. and she is the eponym for the Matilda effect, oh. which describes the tendency to deny women credit for scientific oh, invention. Of course. Of course. So today we recognize Matilda <laughs> and all of the wonderful, inspiring women throughout history and in our present day. This buds for you. Mm-hmm. You remember those commercials? I do. <laughs> Well, as Emily said, we are We Can Do Pod Things, the podcast where we talk about somebody else's podcast, um, that someone else being Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and Amanda Doyle. Uh, We really like their podcast, and we find it to be so compelling and helpful that we decided a long time ago that we should just be like maybe recording our thoughts on how it affects us because if it helps us, maybe it helps someone else. And also because we're freaking hilarious and the world just needs more bright and bubbly, hilarious, honest, embodied women, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? I concur. Same. Okay. So last week we started part one of the two parts of Dr. Marissa Franco. And really she did two separate episodes I mean, she was, it was one whole episode. I think they recorded it all mm-hmm. in one sitting, but they split it very well into two separate episodes. One being about attachment and how attachment affects our friendship. And then the second into then how to mitigate that or mm-hmm. heal from that and improve our friendships. So this is based on the second episode, which I think was called The Secret to Making and Keeping Friends. Do, which I think raises. Let's just get. Let's just ask this question right out the gate. Do we even need friends? I mean, that's that a clearly a fucking rhetorical. Are you breaking up with me? Never on air. <laughs> Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> no, that was that's obviously a rhetorical question. But what what makes us think we need friendships? Why? What it might be some signs that someone might be experiencing that would indicate to them like maybe you should get a friend. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, we talked last week about loneliness and Mm -hmm. how it affects our physical health. Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty good indicator that you need some meaningful connection in your life. But like, what if you're the exception? What if you're like, no, I think I'm good. Blessings on your day, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I also think maybe if you're experiencing things like real loneliness Mm -hmm. or the same things happening over and over again and you being the only one that can solve them or Mm -hmm. only relying on yourself or just that or you get a little too vulnerable maybe you get vulnerable with someone and 
and it doesn't get well received. And so then you're like, well, that clearly I'm not meant to have friends. Are you asking, are there truly people out there whose lives are not bettered by friendship? Yeah. What do you think? I think, I, I mean, I would like to think that those people just have not met the right friends. I would like to hearken back to something that Dr. Becky Kennedy said, which is, I think you're asking the wrong question. Mm -hmm. It isn't, do I need friends? It's what am I even doing friendship? Yeah. How am I doing friendship? And is this actually how we do it? And I mean, you can live your life eating bread and water, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that that's the only way. Your best option. Right. And you could, maybe you try something different. You try a piece of cheese, but you picked moldy cheese. Of course, mm-hmm. you're not going to like it. That yeah. doesn't mean, well, yeah, I should probably just stick to bread and water. Yeah. So maybe if we're struggling with friendship, we start to think about think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that gets difficult as parent or as parents, well, as parents, but also as adults. Everything is difficult Everything as parents. Is, right. Poor Show me the list of things that are not difficult as parents. Jack asked me this question on the way here. And he was like, Mom, why can't I have YouTube app on my device? And I'm driving, and anytime someone asks me anything while driving, I'm gonna get a little more triggered. Mm-hmm. But especially a deep thinking question like that, I immediately am just like, I can't fucking answer this right now. But I, I tried. I did my best. And then I was like, here's the thing about being a parent. And I was like, if you don't, you, 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 the mistakes that you make with kids, you don't know until afterwards that it was a mistake. And a lot of times the mistakes are so big that you end up, you can end up really screwing up people. Mm-hmm. And so it's really scary as a parent. And I have to decide whether or not that's something that like I could I could say, yeah, sure, I'm just gonna let my kid, he's probably not gonna find anything dangerous on YouTube. But what about the off chance that he stumbles across a mm-hmm. episode of something or he watches a video of someone getting blown up or killed or whatever? He can't unsee that. Right. And I was like, so I kind of try to operate from a place of I'd rather not risk mm-hmm. it. And we talked about it a little bit more and then I was like, does that make sense? And he was like, Yeah. And I was like, do you regret asking that question? He was like, yeah. (laughs) Because he's never going to get just a straight answer and he's never going to get the answer that he wants, which is you're right. You can just have what you want. (laughs) Because everything is harder parenting. Yep. It's not just why can't you have the thing that you want. Mm -hmm. There's an actual thought process behind it. Right. And kids these days don't accept because I said so. Kids these days, man. Mm -hmm. The nerve. The audacity. How very dare they. <laughs> but one thing that is easier as a kid is making friendships. Yeah. Because there's those organic friendships where you're just around these people all the time and and you're similar. You like to play the same things or you like the same characters or you're in the same grade or whatever. And then when we get to be adults, that's not so much a thing anymore. Because mm-hmm. like – we have, and we talked about this last week. They're not being a succinct enough word for friends, or not. They're not being like enough descriptions right. of types of friends. Right. Um, and I might work with some people, and and I like them, and they're my work friends, but that doesn't necessarily m- mean 
they should be my best friends. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I don't really like some of the people that I work with. Or maybe I just don't see the people that I work with. Right. I personally love the people that also do the same job as me. I see them once a year mm-hmm. in person unless I make a concentrated effort to drive down to Indianapolis for one of our like HRC meetings. Right. But even then, you you see them for an hour. Mm-hmm. I see them an hour once a month. Right. If I if I drive down every month for HRC. Listening to this episode made me want to go back and check in with the episode with Reese Witherspoon Ooh. where she talks about friendships which was recorded July 2022. But they ask her, what is friendship? Glennon says, pretend that I'm an alien who has just arrived on this planet and you are explaining friendship with me. Because Glennon said, that is essentially what is happening here. (laughs) It's not a stretch. (laughs) And Reese says, friendships are a series of deposits and withdrawals. It's a system of deposits and withdrawals. What does that sound like? And I think that that's about as good of an mm-hmm. explanation of friendship as mm-hmm. anything. That's marble jar. Mm-hmm. That's game theory. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. We love you, Reese. And so with those people that you're talking about, your coworkers, it isn't that you are necessarily resisting right. friendship with them. You're just unable for other reasons, right. logistical reasons, mm-hmm. to make the deposits that it would re- would require. And that's for that friendship. And that's like no one's fault. Yeah. But then how do what are my options then if I if I don't ever and let if I don't ever interact or see the people that are that would provide those organic friendships. And that's how they start off the episode talking about how do you do this? Mm-hmm. But then also of course it makes me think of the people that I work with, the population that I work with. Um so it's a, it's really it's so it's a hard hard for neurotypical or people, humans that don't have a disability that are out in the world and they have less restrictions placed on them. Then when you have a disability, then that's going to make it even harder Mm -hmm. to be able to find friends or connect with people or have real authentic connections. And it doesn't make it any less important for them. There are more logistical barriers for one thing. Um, And there are other complicated so many complicated mm-hmm. layers of other things mm-hmm. at play. And it's just a good thing to think about, especially sometimes in our in in the field that I work in, staff is all is is their friends. Mm-hmm. But in staff, there's no reason why you can't treat that person like a friend. But they're also we're paid to be there. Right. And it's such a weird ethical sort of gray area but then also knowing like an an understanding uh, that is the only that's the access that the only access that a lot of people have mm-hmm. they're they don't have other opportunities to go out and meet friends and so we have to not have to be their friends but like mm-hmm. we have to remember that this is an important connection for them yeah and also how can we facilitate making connections with other people mm-hmm. within their community so that they have access to more authentic, real friendships. Yeah. And they can get the satisfaction out of life that they want. So, yeah, that's fun. It's so, important work. It is. It It is. And I, I think it's work that, like, everyone can do. Mm-hmm. But we have to be aware 
that that's even a thing or we have to think about it from that perspective and that's not always easy especially on when you're having a hard time when you're having a hard day on your worst day the last thing you want to think about is somebody else's problems right um so marissa talks about a this concept of unapologetic initiative do you i want to meet this woman who sent glennon a friendship application do you think it was reese witherspoon I don't know. I wondered if it was maybe her or a few other people crossed my mind. Can you imagine getting an invitation from Reese Witherspoon? An application. Now that I know that we're allowed to send Glennon friendship applications, I'll be filling mine out. We're going to stat. Remember, we have to include pictures of our social gatherings. Yeah, I'm in. So we have to have social gatherings is what you're saying? Not necessarily because we know Glennon and Mm -hmm. we know that huge social gatherings are not her thing. Have you seen this is a recent viral thing where people are not receiving their Amazon orders and so Amazon is saying send us photo evidence that you didn't oh receive my your God. order. So people are just taking pictures of like empty space. <laughs> that would be our yeah. this is a photo of our social this gathering. This is as social as it gets. <laughs> Two of us in one uh-huh. room recording a podcast. Yep. You can fuck with that. You can fuck with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but signing oh, or that we need to we have to sign up or seek out opportunities to meet people. Um whether it's um engaging in a hobby. She talks about making the hobby your um community and not uh, not engaging in the overt avoidance which is I just uh, remove any possibility of meeting or connecting with someone at all. Yeah, overt avoidance is I'm just not going to go to the vet, that event, period. Yeah. Sounds like garbage. And covert avoidance would be, yes, I'll go to the event, but then once I get there, I'm going to be on my phone. Not engaging with people. Or I'm only going to talk to the people that I know. Mm-hmm. And and not putting out like genuine vibes mm-hmm. of like, I want to meet new people. Yeah. And this harkens me back to, do you want to be approached? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be approachable? No. Well, then good job. Yeah. Don't – so I guess what I'm thinking – I'm just thinking out loud here is like you can't say you want friends if you don't really want friends Mm -hmm. because if you don't really want friends, you're not going to put out the vibes that you want friends. Right. It's kind of like me and wanting to play the guitar. (laughs) I don't want to learn. Right. Don't get it twisted. I don't want to learn to play the guitar. I want to play the guitar. Right. (laughs) I want to skip the step where I have to do the work of learning how to play the guitar. Because I just want to be able to do it. Not being good at something is not fun. Yeah. And not being good at something acknowledges that there's something that we're not good at Mm -hmm. or that we're doing quote unquote wrong. Yeah. I think – That's bullshit. Learning friendship is kind of like that. I think people – Most people want – friends, Mm -hmm. but few people want to go through the process and the risk of rejection. Mm -hmm. And there's not as clear of a blueprint for friendship as there is for romantic relationships. Right. Because we don't, well, they talk about you can't, capitalism is really, it's really Mm -hmm. hard to uh, make money off of that. So it's not something that people focus on or that we teach our kids or we model for our kids because- the marketing doesn't benefit from mm-hmm. it. And Glennon said in the episode with Reese, it's not like when you have a romantic attraction to someone mm-hmm. and maybe you get butterflies or whatever it is. There's not that 
necessarily that physical reaction or indicator Mm -hmm. that you're going to spark with somebody in a friendship way. She does talk later about, though, trust the spark. Mm -hmm. And what do we call the spark? Mutual Mutual stardust. I knew you would know Mm -hmm. that. But like, but there are, there is, there are times when you interact with someone and it's not, but it's hard to identify because it's not that glaring, mm-hmm. obvious red light of like, ooh, this person m- makes me feel right. things. It's that, oh, there's something about compelling about this person or there's something I just yeah. can't put my finger on that I really appreciate about this person. Mm-hmm. But if you can trust that instinct of like, there's something interesting about this person mm-hmm. that I that I and we just call that the mutual stardust. And you maybe have to be kind of more tuned in mm. to that to notice it. You yeah. know? You yeah. can detect it when you're looking for it, but if you're not looking for it, it might slip under your radar. Right. And it goes back out to also, I'm not gonna put out vibes that I'm approachable if you don't look like you want me to approach mm-hmm. you. So yeah. if you're just not res- it, you're not going to be receptive to my energy, so I'm not going to put it out. And they said things as simple as if you're standing in a group, mm. stand in a horseshoe. Right. Don't stand in a closed circle. Mm-hmm. Leave room, literally, mm-hmm. for other people make to space. make their way into your group, into your life. Yes. What does that look like, though, if you're talking about you as a person and not as a group? Like instead of having your head down on your phone, mm. having your head up body language, you know, not crossed arms, but body language that communicates that you are open to conversation, mm-hmm. engagement. Ma- leaving space on your schedule mm-hmm. to get together with people. Yeah. Because if you're chock full all the time of all the, the things that you are keeping yourself busy with and you won't have time for friends and so no one's going to try to make appointments with you. Yeah. Interesting. Or if it's just a season of life where things are really busy, Mm. but you sparked with someone Mm -hmm. and you don't want that to disintegrate. Maybe you just say, oh man, I really want to spend more time. I think that we've got these things in common. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get coffee once things settle down a little bit. Is Mm -hmm. that okay? Mm -hmm. Just communicating Mm -hmm. and being open about if things are or aren't, if it is or isn't a good time. Yeah. And then remembering that you wanted to do that mm-hmm. once things do slow down or whatever. Interesting. And then she talks about this concept where people like people who they think like them. And it comes back to if we walk into a room and assume that people like us, it's we're going to be better off than if we walk into a, a room and assume that everybody hates us. Why do these things seem so revolutionary? Right? It's, they do. It's right. You're like, oh my God, this is earth shattering. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, how did I miss it? Yeah. How? Of course that makes sense. But that also tends to be a feedback loop too. It can be a feedback loop if we assume that people don't like us, mm-hmm. they're going to assume that you don't like them. And then it just continues yeah. that way instead of fostering openness and genuineness and, and curiosity. They talk about we have to venture out to be seen. We create social contact. Context? Yeah, that's what I wrote. She said we create social context. Be the thermostat. Yes! Not the thermometer. Not the thermometer. Be the thermostat. Yeah, you can control the 
temperature as a metaphor for the room. You mm-hmm. can control the vibes in the room. If you don't like the feeling, if it feels too stuffy, if it feels too forced, you can shift that. Mm-hmm. Simply by open opening yourself up. Mm-hmm. As with everything, I think there's balance in that because then sometimes it feels like I'm here to manage everybody else's emotions and make sure everybody else is comfortable and, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. But when you're being the thermostat, it's more about yourself. You're controlling yourself. You're, you're, yeah. you're in control of yourself and you're saying, I'm chill. Whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm approachable or, you know, I'm I'm putting out vibes that like I'm cool with this. Yeah. And hopefully other people will be too. Right. That's complicated though. I don't think that's really intuitive for a lot of people either. I'm still thinking about assuming that other people like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, even if that never did come back to you in any sort of tangible way, I still feel so much value yeah. in just assuming that people like me. Even if I go into a room and I'm wrong mm-hmm. and I'm dead wrong and everybody hates me, mm-hmm. until someone comes up to me and says, I hate your guts. Mm-hmm. Right. You are scum between my toes <laughs> for all you little rascals fans of the 90s. Um, until someone comes up and says that to me, I can just stay on my pretty pink and blue cloud of thinking that everybody in the room likes me. And seriously, yeah. And it's just, it makes, it, it takes, it's not personal. It yeah. takes the personalness out of the uncomfortable things that do happen. Like, well, just, it is what it is. What a nice way to live. Yeah. And it's not ignorant. It's not that there aren't any boundaries or anything. It's just that you're not assuming the worst yeah. right out the gate. And it puts the responsibility on people of, okay, well, if you don't like me, it's your job to let me know that you right. don't like me. Right. Yes. Don't expect me to read your mind. Mm, yeah. That's something I think we, they touch on a little bit later on when they're talking about conflict. Um, I think though that, and two though, I want to, I want to point out that being able to adopt a spirit of assuming that everyone likes me means we have to be willing to care whether or not people like us. Does it though? If you don't care if people like you, you're not going to go into the room assuming that they do because it doesn't matter to you. Hmm. Because really we do care. In some rooms, not every room. We care to know if Mm -hmm. people like us or don't. Because if we go into a room where people don't like us, and our energy isn't well received or our skills aren't mm-hmm. celebrated, then we know that eventually we need to leave, right? We've we've talked about that before. But you still have to be open to the idea of even learning whether or not these people like you. I think it would be harder for me to go into a room where I really, really do care mm-hmm. about the impression that I'm making. I think it would be harder for me to go into that room just assuming that people like me. I think doing that for me would be easier in a room where I don't necessarily feel any stakes. Right. I don't feel like there's anything necessarily to lose. And maybe there's gain here. Maybe there's not. In a neutral situation, I feel like it would be easier for me. Right. When it's actually people that you care about, though, you and you have to acknowledge that you care about that Mm -hmm. to be able to do it. Yeah. That's, again... Not that easy, mm-hmm. but 
but it's apparently super important to the success of our relations and interactions with people. Something else she mentions about um, when we're going out and we're putting out those bids for connection or we're seeking out environments where we might have some more of those organic friendships, like going to classes or whatever. Mm -hmm. People, we have this unconscious tendency to like things that are familiar. So if we consistently show up Mm -hmm. to things, we're more likely to establish a connection with other people because we're familiar to them. Even if they've never talked to us, they see us at all these meetings. It's common. It feels physiologically, it feels safer. I have a mantle full of just random pictures that I bought at Goodwill. Not pictures of not candid photos of people, but okay. just like landscapes and paintings. Mm-hmm. And I was really thinking that you just bought frames of random people at Goodwill and put them <laughs> on your shelf. Because that's a very sweet that would thing probably, to do. No, I feel like that would end me up on some FBI list or something that's somewhere. Possibly. Um, but no, I just, I needed something to fill the space on the mantle. So I just went to Goodwill and I picked out some things that I didn't hate. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I picked out I knew it was familiar to me somehow, but I didn't know how. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if I liked it all that much. But what I liked about it was that it had some kind of tie to a childhood memory that I couldn't quite place. Mm. But I bought it and I brought it home. And I eventually figured out that it was a duplicate of a print that hung in my childhood babysitter's house. Oh, interesting. But Did I you mean, like I feel like that – is the same idea. Yeah, it is. I, I that was is, attracted is a, to it just because there was something about it that was nostalgic and familiar yeah, for me. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that was more important than even liking the thing itself. Mm-hmm. I saw my very first therapist mm-hmm. at, out in the community somewhere, and I saw her face, and I I recognized it, and it was familiar, and I couldn't stop looking at it. And then I sat there thinking – wait, what if this is someone that I had like an argument with? Or like, what if this is someone that like, because I remembered sometimes as- associating somewhat of a feeling of like conflict or or unsafety or something. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized, no, that's because that was, that was my first therapist. Because of course, that's kind of the point of going to therapy mm-hmm. is to start pushing some of those soft spots, right. to s- those painful spots to see what's going on in there. It was, and it was, but it was funny because I was thinking this person feels safe, but they also feel a little, it also feels a little tense. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? We just store so much information in our bodies. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It really is. And it has such an effect on us that we don't necessarily realize Mm -hmm. like physical, actual physical effect of how we, what state of existence we're in, whether it's fight or flight or freeze or um, prepping to get that way Mm -hmm. or safety or wild. So she also mentions a good time to find friends is during transitions. When you're just moving into a town or um, starting a new job, that's when she also says make your hobby into a community and trust the spark, the mutual stardust. So then I have a question though. What if someone feels a spark for you and you find them exhausting? (laughs) I think it's because you can't automate it. Mm -hmm. 
you can't just go, well, there's a spark, so I got to be friends with this person. Yeah. Or this person feels a spark for me, so I must be their friend. Can we be – I don't know the answer to this. I'm just speaking this aloud. Can we be as honest in that situation as we are in a romantic situation where somebody feels a spark or an attraction and we say, I'm so flattered that you feel that way. I just – I don't see you in that way or I don't think that I return those feelings. Do you think it – are you asking – is it easier to do that in a romantic relationship or is it easier to do that in a platonic relationship? I think it's more commonly practiced in what would be potential romantic pairings. And I'm just kind of asking myself why. Right. Why Why is is that that something that we accept as part of the courting process? Mm -hmm. Man, that is such a great question. I mean – my, but it doesn't feel like something we can say to somebody who wants to be our friend. Right? Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, and also maybe because traditionally there's an expectation that if you're in a romantic partnership, there can there can be only one. Right, right. Which we know is not right, true. And right. there are all kinds of ways to be in relationships. But society has told us for a long time that there can be one. And so if I say yes to you, oh. you're my you're the one. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why it's a scarcity thing. Oh. Yeah. But then I do think though that we we are maybe more vulnerable to sometimes we have those friendships where we're like why are we even friends with this person anymore? Mm-hmm. Like I'm stressed out every time I talk to them. I never actually want to hang out with them. I'm I'm hanging or I I'm hanging out with them because I feel guilty if I say mm-hmm. no. Why do we why why is it so hard to break up with friends? Yeah. I I was hoping you'd have an answer for that. I don't yet, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I won't try and think of one. Yeah. I think that's an inter- maybe just an interesting question to think mm-hmm. about also, just like why is that so hard? Right. It's. I think it. part of it, like we said, is it's just easier to hoard friends. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like why do I still have my corsages from prom? <laughs> Which I do. Why? Of course you do. I don't know because I have room for them. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. I think some friendships are like that. Is I, there a good reason for having them? No. I think you're right. And I think because of the work that it takes to have a real, genuine, healthy relationship requires us to be introspective and mm-hmm. brave and courageous about our own selves, that sometimes it we just spread our vulnerability across multiple people and mm-hmm. we split ourselves into a million different pieces and we can avoid seeing the whole picture of us. Yeah. So we, if we have all of these superficial friendships or all of these friendships that were deep and, and meaningful at one point, but maybe don't, aren't resonating anymore. We talked last week about the tier, mm-hmm. the tiers of yes. friendship. Yes. Maybe those people have just traveled to a different tier over the years. Yeah, I have no I have a note about that when she talks about we share because of the safety in our relationship, not to create safety that isn't there. Mm-hmm. And immediately I'm like, well, the anxious person is not going to be able to get on board with that or is going to have a really hard time with that because that's what I do. That's how I inspire people to be connected to me is by emotionally manipulating them and creating safety. She's a vulnerability terrorist, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's a specialty some of us have, okay? What do you mean I'm supposed to share because of the safety in our relationship, not to create safety that isn't there? That doesn't make sense. 
but it does. It, and that's why identifying these tiers of friendship can be so important. Because if we know who has earned the the right or the has put in the work to receive that vulnerability, then it tends to pay off a lot better mm-hmm. and result in less rejection, which then reinforces people aren't safe for me to be vulnerable with. Right. We just have to know that you got to know your audience. Yeah. But that's also not something we were taught to do. No. I don't isn't. know about you, but like that's not something I ever I ever thought about doing until someone said their therapist told them to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, huh, that sounds weird. I don't know why anyone would do that. And then when you sit down and do it, you're like, oh, this actually has been really helpful. <laughs> it makes me feel a lot more secure in, in my relationships and in even in the friendships that are the tier is different and maybe mm-hmm. not quite the the closest tier. I actually feel more comfortable around those people and in those relationships because I know what is and isn't expected of me and what I can and and can't expect from them. That is such a valid point because I just spent time last night with a friend of mine who I had not physically seen in probably five years. Oh, wow. And we live 10 or 15 minutes away from each other. Wait, really? Yeah. But we just, we haven't been making the deposits or the withdrawals. Mm, That makes sense though. But it doesn't feel to me, and I don't think it feels to her either, like we've been neglecting something. Right. One of those friends you can just pick right back up with. Yeah. And I think there's a temptation to think that one tier is better than the other or to make those comparisons but we don't have to compare them to each other right. because I had such a refreshing time hanging out with her. It was invigorating. I mean, it just mm-hmm. left me feeling really good. Right. And those things, those feelings don't have to come from your top tier friends all the no, time. And, they and can come from anywhere on the tiers of friendship. And you're opening yourself up to people with all the different skills too. Cause we talked about that last week and, and us and being friends with people who are like what we want to be mm-hmm. or who have the skills or whatever that, that we want to possess. If you're limiting yourself to just like, well, I can only, I can only feel relaxed and re- reinvigorated by with these four people or these two people yeah. or this one other person, then you're limiting yourself to having mm-hmm. these great experiences and, learning and observing other characteristics of people that you don't necessarily always, for whatever reason, you just don't have necessarily the time or the ability because maybe it wouldn't be as rewarding if you Mm -hmm. saw someone every single day. Not everyone wants to be live with their best friend. If you have Christmas every single day, it stops feeling like Christmas. special. Right. And that's not because the other person, there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with you. It's Mm -hmm. just that the energy that you give out and receive is a different proportion. And so like you can't keep that up all the time. Yeah. I think that's important to remember when we think about friendship as a system of withdrawals and deposits. It isn't necessarily the number of deposits or withdrawals you're making. Mm -hmm. It's that it is balanced. Right. Yes. It's that your marbles match their marbles. Yeah. No matter how many marbles are in the jar, Mm -hmm. if the jars are balanced, then I think both people are probably pretty content. Yeah. 
that then though requires that openness in communication if there is something wrong, but we can get back to that. Um, well, the next thing I have written down is requires sharing the parts of myself that might result in my rejection and how this and how these parts of myself that might result in my rejection isn't universal. Mm-hmm. The, the sh- things that I feel shamed about, that's how we, th- this is talking about vulnerability, how we know how to be vulnerable. What I think is vulnerable might not be vulnerable to you. Yeah. Because what you were, what you have learned throughout the course of your life to be ashamed of can be completely different than what I think is something or what I feel ashamed of. So then when someone reveals something that could potentially be vulnerable and then we don't react, he's like, what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. I think um, Glennon talked about, you know, when somebody comes to me and is like, oh, I struggle with alcohol. Like for me, like, "Ah, okay, cool. I've talked about that. Like that's, that's not, that's not that big of a deal to me or Mm -hmm. whatever. Not recognizing that it is a big deal for some people. But that also then requires us to be comfortable enough with the parts of ourself that can be rejected. Right. To allow that to be seen in the first place. Yeah. And it made me think of certain times that maybe someone has shared something with me that lit that vulnerability candle for me, but mm-hmm. not for them. And so I met it with judgment, maybe mm-hmm. not out loud, but I was thinking to myself, like, I can't believe she just put that out there. Mm-hmm. I can't believe she was just that open about that thing. Yeah. How we like, don't do that. Even, I didn't even know we knew each other that well. Right. I didn't even know that we had that kind of friendship. Like it just kind of threw me a little off my center. Yeah. Well, and then it might, if it's triggering you and then it's triggering that sense of unsafety. And mm-hmm. so you're feeling like, Ooh, this feels unsafe. This person must be unsafe rather than going, oh, this feels unsafe because I've never been able to explore that or express that or whatever. And there can still be boundaries Mm -hmm. there that like maybe that is – you still want – you're like, hey, I'm super – I appreciate that you shared that with Mm -hmm. me. I'm not really ready to talk about those things, but I do appreciate that you shared that with me and maybe someday I'll be able to work up to that. Mm -hmm. But again, then – we can't just immediately feel the unsafety and just go, well, this person I cannot be friends with. Yeah. And if I'm if I'm setting boundaries with someone, then I'm open, opening myself up to mm-hmm. vulnerability to saying, first of all, I have a problem with this thing. You're revealing your hand a little bit. And two, then that person can be like, fuck you. What's wrong mm-hmm. with you that you can't talk about that? I don't want to be your friend anyways. And then that's billion times worse. You got to reject them before they reject you. Right. So would you say that you are that you consider yourself sometimes to be an oversharer. Yes. <laughs> now, here's my question about mm-hmm. that. When you do what you would call oversharing, mm-hmm. are you sharing things that do seem vulnerable to you or are you just very comfortable sharing details about your life that may seem vulnerable to other people, kind of like with Glennon sharing right. information about her eating disorder recovery or these other things that she has endured that to other people seem Mm -hmm. traumatic Mm -hmm. because they are, but it's a different, feels differently in her body than it might in someone else's body. Yeah. That's a great question. Historically, it's more, it would probably just be more like I'm just spitting out whatever's in my head without any kind of regard for Mm -hmm. whether or not that's vulnerable or appropriate Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's that trying to hotwire 
connection. Um, but she, when she's talking about the prepackaged vulnerability, what you think people want to hear, that kind of makes me think of that too, though. Like if I'm in an audience and I'm like, what do these people want to hear from me? What do I, what, what am I, I'm choosing to share. I'm choosing to be vulnerable about what I think is going to get the best response from those people. That's not vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That is just, I guess, maybe oversharing. Yeah. Because you're, it's not authentic and you're not really sharing not the from a thing. place of existing safety. Right. Yes, exactly. And her, But her talking about if it's not a little risky, it won't be rewarding. Mm-hmm. So if we're not sharing something that's a little risky, that feels a little bit uncomfortable, we're not really forming a connection and we're not really being vulnerable and we're not really offering these folks that we're talking to the opportunity to show up for us. It's got to feel a little unsafe because yeah. you can o- only do it when you feel safe. It's that dumpster cat thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's my sweet, sweet Brittany where you have to be willing to be a little mm-hmm. uncomfortable and then you can retreat back to safety. Yeah. But then, and then once you're safe, then you can be a little unsafe and then, right. and then it slowly working your way forwards. And that's, you got to really get into your body to know yes. what you're feeling. That's I mean, exhausting. Let's really, be real. Yeah. You've got to really be present in your senses. And you have to be in a place in your life where it's, where it's safe enough mm-hmm. for you to be working on that. And how does anyone get to that place? Friendships. Yeah. Great. So, <laughs> so, and this is where she talks about it. You don't have to wait to be perfect mm-hmm. at knowing yourself in order to find friendships. And in yeah. fact, you can't necessarily do that because then you're – because that, that that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But it's also really confusing. And I think that it's okay to acknowledge that. We can do hard things. Yes, we can. I l- want to talk about this point that she says, when the person is showing something really out of character, mm-hmm. that might be important an important time for us to show up as a friend. And that just makes me think about when she, I think it was last week in the episode about attachment. She talks about we react in ways that aren't like us Mm -hmm. as a result of like our wounding. So when somebody is, when someone I know really well is acting in a way that is not typical of them, I can stop and think this is an opportunity for me to show up for this person. But then also it requires that person to be asking for me to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not asking for me to be there for them, you can't force someone into letting you love them. Yeah. You can't force. Well, you can't. I've, I've, Foster you, around done a, some field research. I've this. done a significant <laughs> amount of research on this, and there are situations in certain friendships when you can go, "Bitch, sit down. You're not mm-hmm. going. You just had a baby five days ago. You're not going to go pack up your mother's house mm-hmm. in six hours. Sit down. We are going for you. I don't care if you feel bad about it. We don't feel bad, and you don't have a. You don't really have to feel bad about yeah. it. Stop punishing yourself." Mm-hmm. So you can manhandle some friends and make them let you love them a little bit. And in that situation, she wasn't acting out of character. Right. She was acting according to this adaptation right. that you've seen and you recognized. Mm-hmm. And you said, nope, today's not the day. Not today. <laughs> not today, Satan. It Gosh, yeah, right. <laughs> and it requires so much, like, 
trust in the other mm-hmm. person because you're giving them the opportunity to prove you wrong that you don't know them as well as you think that you mm-hmm. do. Because I am only going to say that to someone that I'm 100% confident isn't going to get upset with me about it. So you have to really know, again, you have to know your audience and you can only practice that within certain tiers of friendship. Yeah. And you, and that again comes back to trust. You have to trust the other person. So if, if, if you're doing something that's super out of character and I'm like, no, I'm here for you. And you're like, no, I don't want you to be here for me. I have to trust you that you know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it stupid. Takes a lot of. <laughs> self-trust and intuition and being really tuned into not only your feelings, but maybe what the other person is feeling, that makes it all seem like a trap. Right. (laughs) And also, no wonder some demographics and populations are more likely to have friendship or or have healthier friends than others. Mm-hmm. Because if you have to do all of this work on embodying yourself and being whole mm-hmm. and, and trusting yourself, what, ha, what then that's a lot of – for some people, that's not encouraged. Right. And we hotwire then that friendship and camaraderie in other ways. Mm-hmm. That, again, it's hotwiring. It's not actual embodiment and intimacy and friendship. Good news. There's plenty of good news. Oh, lots of One good piece news. of good news is that when we inevitably get these things wrong, we can repair. Yes. Yes. There's, it's not just stop there. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's don't just leave. Yes. When your friend did act out of character and you maybe didn't rise to the occasion and later you realize she needed me to do this thing mm-hmm. and I didn't recognize it at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't come through. You can say, I realized that you were wanting this from me mm-hmm. and I didn't deliver. That's the perfect segue to the next thing, I, the next point, which was where they talk about it's not so much, it's not always what they say, it's how they say it. We can be sensitive to others and mm-hmm. we can go, Oh, the way that Emily is vibing right now, I she says one thing, but I don't I don't think that's exactly. Mm-hmm. She says she's fine, but is she really fine? But again, then that also Marissa points out puts it back on us that we can also be clear. We can control ourselves and make our risks. We can look at our defense mechanisms mm-hmm. and say okay, um, this feels really uncomfortable. Why does this feel uncomfortable? And is this, if this is something that's really important to me, I can't control and emotionally manipulate the other people and expect them to read my mind that I Mm -hmm. say that I'm fine, but I'm not really fine. I can also be a little brave and say, actually, I'm not fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, I don't want to do this thing. Or actually, I, I just need this. Yeah. But that's, not easy. You say just, but it's not. It's not easy. It's not intuitive. And yeah, I don't like it sometimes. But if we don't embrace it, then how are we can't improve. Mm-hmm. We can only be authentically who we are when we access feelings of safety. Is this a good time to talk about the laboratory? Yes. So sister says, your friendships are your laboratory where 
you learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't learn about yourself in isolation. Mm-hmm. You learn about yourself in relationship with people. You're constantly experimenting in your friendships and learning something new about who you are or who you want to be. Right. And then I have to, so that means I have to be in a place where I can am safe enough with myself to see my own flaws. Do you want to learn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. It's confusing because we're saying like you don't have to be perfect to start. Right. But you do have to be considering perfection. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's not. Perfection is not necessarily the right word. But like you don't have to be whole to start, but you have to be whole adjacent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not what I meant either. <laughs> um You have to be willing to acknowledge that there is – that I am in control of myself and the way that I act and respond. And there may be things that I'm doing to contribute to my dissatisfaction with life. Mm -hmm. All of this would be really intimidating if we only got one shot at getting it right. Yeah. If it were make or break and you only get one chance and if you blow it – you're doomed to a life of solitude and misery. Right, because you there's there's no safety in that. Right. Oof. But the good the good good news is the friendships that rupture and repair have more intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then they so then they're talking about anger and the types of the different types of anger. There's anger of hope where I believe that this conflict can get our needs met. Mm-hmm. And then there's anger of despair where I have no hope that expressing my needs is going to get them met. So my only option is to destroy. Mm-hmm. And this going back to combat versus conflict. And yeah. I know that that was something you definitely wanted to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So do you, do, you, do you want to talk about it? It makes me think of when I mediate peer conflict. Mm with students. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I have this language now of anger of hope versus anger of despair. Mm-hmm. Because I usually start out, first I make sure that they're both interested in sitting down together. Mm-hmm. It's never a situation that's forced on anybody. No. Right. But if they show interest in sitting down together, I will usually start by asking, how did you guys become friends? in the first place. And I find that that is such a good place to start Mm. because it immediately takes them to what they value Mm -hmm. about each other. Mm -hmm. And if there is something to value, then you can almost see it happen in real time Mm -hmm. on their expression Mm. when they go from maybe anger of despair Mm. to anger of hope. Yes. Oh, that must be so cool to witness. It is when it happens. Yeah, but then when it doesn't, that's... But when it doesn't and you can see that maybe there's nothing here but two people who just want to go tear each other to pieces, mm-hmm. then we'll usually say, you know, maybe this it's isn't the right the time. Yeah. it's. In, I kind of want to go back a little to what you were saying about asking, are you even interested in, in being in the same room with this person? Mm-hmm. Are you even able to sit down and do that? Because you're, what you're asking them is to assess their own safety. Mm-hmm. Do you feel safe in the presence of this person? Yeah. And if they don't feel safe in the presence of that person, they're not going to be able to sit down and work mm-hmm. on stuff with them. 
And it also requires someone who, because when you're talking about middle school kids, we've got lots of hormones going on. We've got just all kinds of craziness that happens when you're Mm -hmm. that age. And if we haven't prepared our kids to know what safety feels like, it's that it's that Becky Kennedy episode about, hey, something about this doesn't feel right to you. What is it? Mm-hmm. And having them evaluate that in their own body so that they can start asking themselves. And the importance of doing that as a parent or a caregiver to help our little ones, our little people, to have the skills to be able to say, I am or am not safe. How do I get myself to a place mm-hmm. of safety so that I can then engage in repair? I'm constantly amazed by how when given the opportunity for a restorative conversation mm. away from their peers, mm-hmm. away from all of the pressure of expectations, people are watching them, these people are getting in their ear, you guys should fight because right. they just want to stir something up or right. see some drama. When you can just remove them from that, mm-hmm. it is incredible to see what they can do. Yeah. If when you you're just safe, give them the environment to do it in. Yeah. When their environment is safe mm-hmm. and you're, or conducive to actual growth and work and vulnerability, how much people can actually accomplish. Yeah. And in that room, it isn't just them having to ask, do I trust this other person? They have to ask, do I trust myself enough Mm. to be able to have this conversation? Mm -hmm. Because they know that I'm not going to allow them to come into a room and fight the way that they will fight on the playground. Right. Like you're not going to come into my office and talk to each other the way that you talk to each other out there. Right. I'm going to ask you to come in here and actually – speak on how you feel. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> it kind of, it goes back to something that I really wanted to, to make sure that we touch on which is when she they talk about your knee jerk reaction is not actually your mm-hmm. authenticity. It's your defense mechanism. It's your adaption to survive. And for me, one of the things that I'm that is I'm really struggling with right now is how is trusting myself? How do I know which feeling to trust. How do I know which feeling is how I truly feel and which feeling is just that impulse? Your capital S. Yeah. Self. Yeah. And <clears throat> because it really does affect the way that I am, am approach conflict or combat if I come at it from a anger of hope versus anger of despair. And there's a there's a um there's someone a doctor named uh Dr. Alexandra Solomon and she's a sex and marriage therapist and she's got a book called Loving Bravely. And she has this quote in this book that says, it takes great courage to say, I will no longer hide from myself, to embrace the pause and examine the pause between stimulus and response Mm -hmm. and, and say, what does this say about me? Why am I reacting this way? And how can I take some time to sort through this so that I can productively contribute mm-hmm. to the contributor response rather than a knee-jerk reaction that's just really an adaption and not authenticity. She has some strategies for that, but again, you have to be able to be in a place where you're willing to stop and think about it. And But it's just, it's not, even for, it's just not easy though. Yeah. 
Because like, I d- some of us just genuinely don't know until you put it in words like that. And I then you start say, to think about it and you're yeah. like, oh shit. When someone says something to me and I get just really upset, yeah. really like hyper triggered. Your triggered self is never so your capital S self. Right? But I also know from my years of being uh, anxious where I push mm-hmm. my own needs down and ignore my own needs to the point that they're not getting met and then it blows up and it gets even worse. Like it can be confusing to know like how do I do that then? Like if if something really makes me upset, I can't let it sit and, and corrupt me from the inside out. But I also don't have to react right now and that the discipline that it takes to be like, all right. You need to commit to the pause. Mm -hmm. You need to take a second. And this isn't saying that you're going to live with this forever or you have you. It's not saying you have to sit here and think about it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You just have to sit here and be present with yourself and move through it. Mm -hmm. That's hard for anyone, but it's also, it's just really hard for me. And when I can think about it as this is valid. Mm Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because it's a deal breaker. Yeah. It's valid because it's an adaption. And then I can also, I can feel two things at once. And they talk about that with the adaptions too. Like if I'm um, defensive about like, like my, my friend, I want my kid to get into an Ivy. This is the example they use. I, I want my friend, I want my kid to get into an Ivy league school and my friend's kid gets into an Ivy league school, but mine doesn't. I can be both jealous and happy mm-hmm. at the same time, happy for my friend and present for my friend, even if in the moment I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to take that one extra step further, depending on what kind of friends and you're, you are, or how your friendship tier is, if you want to say, I got to be honest, I'm like so excited. I'm so excited for Rally mm-hmm. to go to Harvard. I really am. And I'm also super jealous that Jack didn't get into Yale. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really, I'm dealing with that, but I want to be there for you and I want to support you. And I want you to know genuinely, I'm so proud of Rally and happy for all the things that you, and you communicate to them. Then you're not expecting Mm -hmm. the other person to read your mind and be like, why is she pulling back? Why is she moving away? Why, why isn't I the bad guy all of a sudden? Why is she talking shit about me behind my back? Yeah. Because unfortunately our assumptions are not usually towards the direction of generosity. Right. We don't assume that the people like us. And how hard it can be when we do assume that people like us and then they do something that very much indicates that they don't like us. Mm -hmm. How do we not take that personally? But when we can remember that it's not usually personal, Mm -hmm. it's not about me. It's about the way you feel about something I did and whether or not you can communicate that to me. It makes it a little bit easier, I guess. But then also, if you want that high-quality friendship, being able to go in and say and and be vulnerable and open yourself up to that, then that's when you really get that high-quality relationship. That's all you have to do, you know? Mm. Easy peasy. Yeah. Everyone should be doing this. She talks (laughs) about empathetic conflict being the kind that is the one that builds these healthy and deep friendships. And the way that you do that is um, you start by framing. And you say, I'm invested in this friendship and I love you and I'm coming to you because I care so much about you in our relationship. And then you you do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. You be open and generous. And then you take some perspective. 
and listen to the feedback from the other person because it's there's there has been a disconnect somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to what like the other person has to say about why there's a disconnect, instead of expecting them to read our minds and them expecting us to read their minds, and they're actually saying, no, I said this thing or I did this thing. Did you not receive this? Or mm-hmm. like, oh my God, thank you for telling me that that's how it came across. That's absolutely not what I meant. I was thinking about this. And we can connect those pieces together. Then we get those enriching and healthier and rebuilt and secure friendships. And it all comes back to us having to be embodied and loving ourselves and willing to do the scary thing, to be brave and do the courageous thing. And it doesn't have to be this big, grand gesture. Mm -hmm. We can do that in these simple, small deposits and withdrawals. It doesn't have to be, you don't necessarily, your friendship doesn't, isn't determined by the number of withdrawals and deposits, but also your deposits and withdrawals don't have to be big. Like Mm -hmm. you can also save money by, by putting in a dollar a day or, you know, something is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can use those small moments of vulnerability to build up to get to a point where you have yeah that's a what most of quality friendship is yes. consistency yes i yes. mean you don't get a lot of opportunities in life to be there for someone no. during the death of a parent right. or a yeah. divorce mm-hmm. or whatever it is these things come around surely but the bulk of your friendship is built on the everyday mm-hmm. mundane reliability mm-hmm. of showing up for each other. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts, Emily? Hmm. I I don't think I do. Okay. I think the only thing I really want to touch on is this whole with this whole anger of hope versus anger of despair. We have to recognize or accept that our anger is even there Mm -hmm. and how difficult that can be for those of us who've been socialized or our adaption is to not feel anything at all. Repressors. Yes. Yeah. Like completely ignore the fact or deny the fact. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad because it's not safe to be mad. It's never been safe to be mad. Right. So I'm not mad. So we have to actually be able to recognize that and how hard that can be. And the data has shown us over and over again that you're not fooling anybody. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then other people can pick up on that yeah. also. You you might be fooling yourself maybe, mm-hmm. but other people can pick up on that. Right. Because – and then that goes back into this whole reinforcing like the energy that you give off. If you're giving off – this energy that like you're holding back and you're mm-hmm. repressing and you're angry and you're not going to say it. And every time I ask you if you're angry or not and you say that you're not angry, then I'm going to receive that as being guarded and I'm going to be guarded. Yeah. And then it's and that's going to actively work against our friendship rather than work towards it. It's like instead of ripping off the Band-Aid, you just put a larger Band-Aid Ugh, over it. Right. Well, now you got two Band-Aids right. to rip off. <laughs> and eventually they're going to have to come off. Yeah. And now you've got twice the pain. Mm-hmm. Wow. This was I was I'm so glad we decided to cover this because it's just another level and layer of attachment and how understanding attachment affects everything. 
And we don't talk about friendship in this way mm. enough. We don't. We really don't. We we should. Yeah. And we are. And if you have thoughts on friendship and what friendship means to you or what you've learned, please let us know. You can um, email us at podthingspodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a direct message on Instagram at we can do pod things. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And this has been We Can Do Pod Things. Bye, friends. Bye.